Amen. Ladies, Kay, thank you so much for you guys putting that together for us. And God has been so good to us. If you didn't catch it today, what we've been talking about is blessing the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> and I think uh, if I had a moment to just say, you know, if we went around the room and asked you to bless the Lord, we'd be here all day because God is so good and he, is, he has just protected us and cared for us. You could be in a lot of different places today, and here you are, worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. And I pray with all my heart that what we do here honors Jesus. That's what we're talking about. If you'll find 1 Corinthians, find chapter 11 and verse number 17. Now, this is a very unique passage. Paul is going to kind of go back to the first four chapters a little bit here because Paul is talking about their worship service and Paul is very concerned about what's going on with the Lord's Supper but in that he deals with probably not only the Lord's Supper he deals with their entire worship there and he goes back and mentions these divisions and so let, let's read a few passages then I'm going to taxi a little bit and just kind of explain to you some things this is probably more of a teaching message than a preaching message but uh, I might get excited too so just, just hang on y'all all right all right, look, look, look in uh, chapter 11, look in verse number 17. He says, Now, in giving the following instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now, you just let that soak in right there. And so Paul says, I, I'm not sure it's even good for y'all to be meeting. You've been so ungodly in what you're doing. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together, as a church, there are divisions among you, and partly I believe it. There must be indeed factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one of you eats his own supper and goes ahead, so that one person is hungry while another person gets drunk. Wow. And don't you have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I don't praise you for this. And then I'm going to stop right there and we'll pick back up in a minute and read those. We're going we're to look at this. Uh, Paul literally, I, I go back to the book of Malachi. Let me read you what God said to his people before this ever came about. When is it really better that a church not meet. I tell you, I know some Baptist churches that are fighting, and we, we've become such a, a disgrace at times in our churches by what we fight over. We have kept so many lost people from church that it is unbelievable. Uh, the foolishness that we've participated in and church splits and things of that nature. So here's what we're talking about. We've been talking about propriety and our witness. Now Paul is slipping into propriety and worship and how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do. Now, until this phenomenon called social media, I had no idea, you know, I've been in a lot of churches, and I've been in some wild places, and I've been in some places that I got up and left. I didn't think what was going on was, was appropriate. But, but until social media, did we get a really a good look into, inside many, 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 many different kinds of churches and what goes on in there. And some of it is absolutely just blasphemy. It's just idiotic. 
with people flopping around on the floor and people running all over the place and uh, people running in the sanctuary and then some guy ran up on the platform, jumped in the baptistry in his coat and tie. And uh, I've seen you know people falling out and women falling in the floor with their garments falling off and all kind of craziness. And so Paul is really addressing this, this church in Corinth. If you notice what I just read to you, Paul says, I don't have any praise for you. And so what we're dealing with here and as we go into chapter 12, 13, and 14, I want you to know Paul is not happy about what's going on in the church. Many pastors are still taking this and making doctrine out of it. The only way you can make doctrine out of what Paul is doing here is to not do, uh, is to do the opposite of what he's scolding them for. This is a spanking that Paul is giving them. When I go back to Malachi chapter 1, listen to this. This is what God said to his people. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. The people of God were being so uh, sinful in what they were doing. They were bringing blind and crippled animals. Uh, Malachi goes on a little bit further and he says, uh, I wish somebody would put the fires out on the altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord, and I will not accept your offerings by your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun uh, to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. God says, one day I'm going to make it so that God's people will do what they're supposed to do. And bless the Lord, oh my soul, we as the church of Jesus Christ, with the complete scriptures, the complete canon, ought to be the leaders by showing people what they should be doing in the, in the worship service. When people come in here, they should see excitement, they should see order, they should see praise, and they should understand what we're doing in the worship service. Uh, Malachi says, but you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled. And of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. You bring injured and crippled and diseased animals. In other words, the people had made a mockery out of what God told them to do in worship. If worship is, is anything, and if worship is important at all, it should be done properly especially in the two ordinances that we have. Now, baptism we do very orderly and respectfully and carefully, but it is not as important as the Lord's Supper in the fact that it represents the entire body participating. Now, uh, the candidate and the person doing the baptism is in control at that point, but still, uh, you've seen these little videos on YouTube and other places where the candidate will come and run and cannonball the pastor while he's in there. I want to tell you, if somebody did that here, I would jerk him up out of that baptistry and take him out. We wouldn't be doing baptism that day. We'd be going out back at the church. The, and when you, when you see what I'm talking about now, you say, oh, pastor, you're just overreacting. No, this is serious business. And Paul says because of the propriety in worship that many of the people were sick and dying in, in Corinth. This is serious business because you're representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's funny about that? Absolutely nothing. This is respectful in the house of God. And so uh, Paul Paul talks to them and says, listen, here's what's happening. Here's the context. Again, pagan rituals, selfishness, worldliness had worked its way into their services, especially in the Lord's Supper. Now, the early church, John MacArthur says, developed special fellowship meals that came to be called the love feast. In Jude chapter 12, 
we, we see how the communion, even Jude speaks about how the communion table had been disrupted and disorganized. And so the people of God were coming there, and they were having the love feast. It was a body exercise. We call it fellowship. We call it the Christmas meal. We call it uh, uh, candlelight service. There are special times that we come together and we eat. And your pastor believes the scripture to be true. So I, at times, try to do our communion service with those big celebration services. But what had happened was there were people, Jude tells us this, these men that came into their love feast, he says, there are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, Shepherds who feed only themselves. There are clouds with... Good right here. There we go. All right. I thought I done preached all the juice out of that thing right there. Don't worry if that happens. I can keep going. Y'all all right? You just have to And so he says... These shepherds fed themselves, and they were useless. They were, they were autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. And so, in other words, the, the, the people that were coming in were taking advantage. They were coming in just to eat and to commit adultery. Can you believe that? And he even says, uh, get drunk in the service. The, it is unbelievable what was happening there. These were congregation meals that stress the fellowship, the affection, the mutual care of each other. And so I try my very best. Uh, I'm very comfortable for people when they come in to enjoy the services and to fellowship with one another. Why do we, why do, we do that? Because it's so important for us to have that body fellowship together with one another. It's a celebration time. But I want people to come in and understand what we're doing. And so we do the Lord's Supper occasionally, but sometimes pastor goes through and literally from this passage right here, I go through it and explain the theological significance of it. I have no idea how so many Baptists have been Baptists sometimes for 20 and 30 and 40 years and don't understand the Lord's Supper. They don't know what it is. We talked about blessing today. Jeremy gave you a lot of message about blessing. Did did you know why we bless our food when we sit at the table? We stop as Christians and bless the food. Why do we do that? I want God to know that He's more important to me than the food. I I don't bless the food. I'm asking Him to bless it. It reminds me of the Lord's table. It reminds me of the Eucharist. The word Eucharist is the word for thankfulness in the Scripture. When we come to worship and we come together, I try to put those two together so that we understand and know. uh, In 2 Peter 2.13, it says, These people will be paid back. They are blots and blemishes. uh, uh, They're reveling in their pleasures while they, while they come and worship at your love feast. They were desecrating. I heard literally of people desecrating the Lord's Supper. There were churches in our area that would put the Lord's Supper up against the table and people would come in and go over and serve themselves and then go on their way. Let me tell you something. I'm your shepherd. We're going to talk about what we do, and I'm going to serve you through the deacons, and the deacons are going to serve me. We're going to make that something that is passionate and meaningful and explain it because as you're going to see here, as I go through and explain the meaning of the text, you'll understand it. Now, if, here's why. There's so many people that come in to a worship service, and I want to say to you today with all the, the love and care I can, If you go to a church or you come here and you don't like church, it's because you don't know what's going on. And it's because the pastor has never 
uh, either explained what's going on or you've never had a service like this where, see, I preach expository messages. We don't skip these. You see, everybody wants to get to chapter 12, 13, and 14 so we can talk about spiritual gifts. But this right here will help you understand spiritual gifts even better. This will help you to understand what worship is all about. My favorite quote about worship is this. It's from uh, the 98th Archbishop of Canterbury. His name is William Temple. And it's in his book, Man, Nature, Man, and God. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. That's what I'm doing here today. If you don't understand the excitement in my worship, it's really because you don't understand what I'm doing in my conscience. I want to expose myself to the things of God to fix me, to fix my conscience. And so if, if you're not involved in that, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a boring time because you're not saved. You're not born again. And then he says, to feed the mind with the truth of God. That's what I'm doing right now. My folks who are saved, what's going on right now? You're being fed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything this morning. You have to work at it in your quiet time. But right now, all you got to do is open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I'm feeding you as fast as I can, uh, trying to get through this message and pull, because I got one shot at you till next week, and some of you I won't see for another month. So I'm pouring everything into you I can so you don't die before you get back. Feed you, feed the mind with the truth of God to purge the imagination by the beauty of God. I need to see the beauty of God in worship so that I can understand the wicked things that I see during the week aren't worth having. And so this is the counteraction, this is the counterweight to the culture that I'm experiencing. Every week when I go out, I want to purge my imagination. And then I want to open my heart to the love of God. Some of you still can't get over the fact that He loves you this much. And you have to accept the grace and forgiveness. And may I say to you that your pastor is like that. I don't know that there's a day of my life I've ever lived up to the holiness of God. I don't think I've ever gone to bed, put my head on the pillow and thought, man, I honored God in every moment of this day. And it bothers me. But one day I'm going to see Him and I'll get a new body. Y'all say amen. I want to know the love of God. And then to devote the will to the purpose of God. I want to do all of these things so that when I leave this place, I do the will of God. If you want that quote, and it's a great one, you just look up the quotes about worship from William Temple, and you'll find them. Worship has to engage all the members. Worship is directed towards one God, not one group. Oh, that's big, see? Oneness, body, unity, this is the key. This is what Paul is saying about the Lord's Supper. People were going before others. They were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And Paul says, hold on a minute. You need to wait for one another. This is a body ordinance that you're doing. The Word must be presented. The Word needs to be explained. It needs to be argued. It needs to be illustrated. And it needs to be applied. You need to get the, the truth of the Word of God. And at the end of the service, pastor wraps it all up, puts handles on it, and lets you take it with you. Amen? That's what we're after. Music and singing has to express the soul and the heart. Some of you, I wonder, I wonder what's going on in your heart when we see some of these beautiful hymns. And if you notice, listen, we sing two hymns and two choruses. And I can guarantee if we sing, we sing uh, one hymn and three choruses, somebody's going to ask me, why don't we sing that other hymn? You see, it's because you come in here looking and expecting things to be your way. And I pray that one day I'll have an entire congregation of people that says, when I come into the building of, of God and, and the sanctuary, I'm going to look to Him and worship Him. 
Some of you just sit here until we get around to something you like. Then you decide to sing. I want to tell you, if you're not singing, there's not a song in your heart. We sing some things around here and play some things around here. Not my kind of music. But if they're talking about my Lord, that's a different story. It got quiet up in here then, didn't it? Let me tell you. It didn't matter where I'm at. If I hear you talking about my Lord, I want to hear it. Some of the same people that won't sing during certain songs will talk during Kay's playing. Y'all all right? Propriety in worship. The conscience has to be influenced by the holiness of God. I am wicked down to the core. I'm still living in the flesh, didn't get my new body. And every moment that I get to hear the Word of God, somebody singing about my Jesus, and where I'm going and what I'm doing, I want to be influenced by the holiness of God. I don't care if it's southern gospel, bluegrass, a chorus, a hymn, a word from David Jeremiah, or whatever I pick it up from, or if I see it written on a sign in the grocery store, I want that to affect my heart. Yeah, the mind must be freed and changed by the truth of God. That's what we're doing in here. That's why when people come in and they don't know what we're doing and they don't understand the propriety in worship and how serious we take this, they don't understand that this worship changes us. It frees our minds with the truth of God. Our imaginations used to see the beauty of God, the love of God, and the wrath of God need to be presented in balance. What bothers me so much is people will hear me preach one message and summarize me and say, well, that's the kind of preacher he is. I beg your pardon, there's a lot of truth in this book right here. And when I go through it from word by word, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, you're going to hear a lot of things. Don't summarize somebody you hear in just one second. You may disagree with him on certain aspects of eschatology or something, but it may be a great guy, but bring that truth out. Eat it like you eat fish. I ate some fish this week, and it was mighty good. There were some sides that went with it that weren't good. I just kept eating the fries and the fish. Y'all all right? If you get it and it's not good, throw that part out and enjoy the rest. Amen? Devotion to the purpose of God. When I leave here, I want to get it done. I want to take it with me. And if a church is infighting like this church in Corinth, there's no hope of unity in the body. One family had such a time worshiping with us because of their legalism. They thought everybody was unholy but them. Well, they ended up going to another church. And these are people who had come from three churches before they got to us. And then they went to another church and got mad and left. So the time that I knew them, they'd been at five churches. And they started posting things online. Home church, catch the wave. Can I ask you a question? Did God ever tell us just to worship at home? You see, iron sharpens iron. We're supposed to be together. Our job is to minister to the community out there. It's not about us. And listen very carefully. After they went to five churches, can you answer a question for me? What was the problem in those churches? Them. That was the problem. Them. They had the problem, not the church. You can always find something bad with something no matter where you go. I hear people, they'll go get their nails done. Or people go to this golf course and they don't like that golf course. And I'll do this and i do that. So listen, if you're that unhappy, why don't you just stay home? Did, did you understand that these people were better off staying home? But, Brother Jerry, I can't believe you just said that. You just said that some people need to stay at home. Let me ask you this. If they're doing damage in the kingdom of God in some church and people are being lost because they're at church, they need to stay home. 
I love it when somebody comes to me and says, well, yeah, we're moving, we're coming from so-and-so, our preacher's lost his mind. Guess what? After about six months, I will have lost my mind. And when they leave here, they'll go somewhere else, and that preacher will have lost his mind. Because, see, these folks can't be happy. But it's propriety and worship. Look in verse 18. Paul says there's, there's divisions there. The word is schism. Some people just like it that way. They just like to fight. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that the gifts are for building up the body until we all reach unity in the faith. You see, this is why this is important before we get to spiritual gifts. So when I talk about spiritual gifts, you'll understand that the purpose of the spiritual gifts, your gift is not for you to begin with. It's for the body of Christ. And so our goal is that we come together, we worship, we become one, we grow in unity of faith so that we can reach the kingdom, that can reach people for the cause of Christ, so that when people who don't go to church, they come in here, they see us in unity. If we can't be in unity, then what chance does the world have to be in unity? In verse 19, Paul says, it's necessary. Now listen very closely. Paul says, it's necessary for divisions to be there. I don't like that. And Paul says, the reason that the divisions are there is so you will see the leadership rise up, deal with it, and then you'll know who to support. That's what Paul says right there, verse 19. Paul clearly says that. He says, There must indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Well, who are the approved? Well, I I love this. Paul says there's heresies and factions. Did you know that troublesome people in churches, that God calls them heresies? It's It's our word for heretic. You know, there's a lot of people who go from place to place to place to place doing damage to the kingdom of God because they can never be happy. And so here's what you got to do. If the word's not being preached or there's something immoral going on in there, then you can leave that church. But until then, factions will reveal who the problem people are. And Paul says we were approved by God. Note that God calls these folks heretics. John MacArthur says, Trouble in church creates a situation in which true worship, strength, wisdom, and leadership will be manifested. See, the leadership comes about. I knew one church that these people had caused trouble in so many places, and they split one church. Then they went to this church, and here's here's what happened. The deacons met them at the door and said, You're not welcome here. Have you known pastors that caused so much trouble everywhere they went? that then they couldn't get a job, they couldn't get a calling, because that pastor lost his personality somewhere. And he was just mean, and he didn't love his sheep. See, God, will ca- that will catch up with you too. There are some churches that fight so much that when they run their last pastor off, then they can't get a pastor because no- the word gets out and nobody will go there. You see, we don't want that. Paul says, listen, listen very carefully. The redneck theologian... <laughs> Pastor Gray says this, people who are divisive cannot be trusted with the gospel. You can't trust a man with the gospel to come if he's just a divisive person. I know know guys who are so reformed and so Calvinistic that they're going to church that's growing and doing well and split it with his own theology. It's like, look, Jesus didn't call me to preach Calvinism, reformed theology, or Baptist theology. He called me to preach the book. The book will be all right if you'll just preach it. Amen? 
And I'll promise you this, when the Baptists and the Reformed people and the Charismatics disagree with the book, I'll disagree with them. I've had people ask me, say, well, what, what translation are you preaching out of? I said, which one you want me to preach out of? Because I can bring my Greek New Testament and the Hebrew text right up here and preach right out of that. So everybody that's so interested in messing up all these churches about translations, I'm saying, how many of them know Greek and Hebrew? None of them. So they're inappropriate in their translations, but yet they want to tell everybody else, this translation's better. It's silliness. And the word dipron is supper or the meal. We associate these with, the, we should associate the, the supper with body life. Many people have asked me, said, well, Brother Jerry, when are we going to do the Lord's Supper? They love it because we spend that personal care time together as we, as we come together. Paul says in this church, the poor came and there was, there was food there and the rich looked down on the poor. And the rich were eating all the food and the poor people couldn't get anything. Now, how can there be unity when we treat those who are of uh, 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 less stature or ever how you want to put it or didn't have the money to bring anything? How do we look down upon them? Paul even says, he uses the word methuo. We, we get our word meth or ethyl from that, like alcohol. Paul says they were drunk. Now, can you imagine us having the Lord's Supper and someone being here drunk? That's what's going on. Now, let's just put that in context. Now, just think of what Paul is saying here. They were bringing the pagan practices of the day into the room in verse 22. He says, can't you just eat at home? You, should, you, you despise and you shame the poor. That should never happen. So Paul deals immediately with the discord and the division. Then Paul deals with the doctrine. In verse 23 through 26, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul literally says here, this is the doctrine. So when your pastor does the Lord's Supper with us, we use this. Now, uh, if they're not already on there, they will be there soon. The, the notes that I've given you, not only the sermon, I actually put the Lord's Supper sermon that I do with you with these notes, they'll be there online. You can look at them. You can see what I'm going through as I explain it. Now, notice this, that the doctrine that goes with this. Some believe that 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. And therefore, and Paul does say this right here, what I received, I got from the Lord and I passed it on to you. And so this may have even been written before the Gospels. And Paul is saying, this is what the Lord has revealed to me about the Lord's Supper. And so he says, the night that he was betrayed... This is a reference here to the changing of the Old Testament remembrance of the physical deliverance from Egypt to spiritual deliverance in Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty significant. When we do the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is we're not Old Testament believers. We're New Testament believers, and the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. I would say that's pretty significant. And then he took bread. The symbol of the, the greatest sustenance in life is bread. It's the symbol for, for life and sustenance and health and all of the things that we know that are good. 
And Jesus took that. And if you don't listen, if you don't think that the bread and the blood is important, just ask Cain. You see, this, the elements are very important. And he took the bread and he broke it, which re- refers to the breaking of his body and suffering. That is sufficient. It was sufficient to be used in the Lord's Supper. That's the doctrine. Jesus is sufficient to cleanse you of your sins. It was given, and by the way, we're coming up to some places, and I want you to understand, at that table that night, Jesus broke the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he gave it to each man. Every man had to receive the bread. Even Judas was there and took the bread. And I want to say to you, there are many of you and many of you who are watching by way of Internet. This is so important, and when we get into the gifts, I'm going to show you this, and it's It's going to be so good when I take time to do it. I don't have time this morning. I'm going as fast as I possibly can. But let me say something. Many of you understand the gospel. You know the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You understand the significance of the blood of Christ. You understand the significance of the broken body of Jesus Christ. But you've never received him. Many people, many denominations talk about Jesus, they talk about the gospel, but the pastor never confronts the people. They know the truth, but they've never received him. You have to receive Jesus Christ. Christina came down, she received the Lord Jesus. She received him. Guess what? She knew the truth. Been dealing with the truth, but she crossed the line. She received the Lord Jesus Mike and Renee received the Lord Jesus. They'd been raised around the gospel. They understood the gospel. Jerry Gray knew the gospel. I was supposed to have been saved when I was seven. I didn't remember anything about it. But I'll tell you this. Hell scared me so bad, I received the Lord Jesus. I took him into me. Jesus says, you receive him. This is the preaching of the gospel. And the word is, we get the word Eucharist from this. Jesus, Jesus gave thanks for the bread. He blessed the bread. What he was saying, listen, some people say, oh, well, Jesus was just fighting in his flesh. He didn't want to go to the cross. And, you know, he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Foolishness. He took the bread and blessed it. He said, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to teach my men about my body that was broken for them. He was teaching them about the gospel. He was telling them what it meant. And when you, when you sit in this sanctuary and you take that little wafer and that little bit of juice, so many of you, I watch you with tears in your eyes thinking about what the Lord has done for you as His broken body. He was beaten and punished for you and for me. You take, that, you take the, blood, the blood, the juice, the, the symbolic nature of what He's done for us. He took that in verse 24. He gives thanks for it. The cup was to pass forth from Him, not by Him. He did not say, Lord, let this cup pass by me. I don't want to do this. He said, let it flow. Jesus was coming. He, he went, they sang a hymn, and left the upper room. He says, this is my body. This is my body. Symbolically, there's no transubstantiation. There's no consubstantiation. Poor, poor Presbyterians. Listen to me. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ living in you, why do you need the presence to be in the the elements? You don't. You have Him in you. You can't receive Jesus Christ. Catholicism says, oh, well, you have to receive this in the Catholic Church. No, you don't. The disciples weren't in the Catholic Church. 
Jesus wasn't the pope or the priest. He was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And he said, this is my body. It's not the Baptist body, the Catholic body. This is my body. This is my blood. It's the new covenant. You couldn't keep the old covenant. When people come into this place, they need to see that. He, he takes the cup. What was it? What was the cup? The day, uh, the day of atonement. He says, take it, receive it. And when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what? Remember, remember when you came out of Egypt? Remember the atonement? Remember those two goats? One was a scapegoat. The priest would put the sins of the people on the goat's head. They led him out into the desert. He would go away and die, disappear. That's what happens to you when you ask the Lord to, to forgive you and cleanse you. Your sins go away forever. And then the other, the other goat, the, the priest would, would slaughter the goat and put the blood on the mercy seat because life is in the blood. Jesus says, this is my blood, and I'm going to spill it for you. That's the significance of all of this. The bread represents his life and his work. The cup represents his, his death. It represents closeness. The life is in the blood. A life has to be given when the covenant has been broken. The Old Testament covenant had been broken. Jesus said, take this cup from me. For I, Listen, the cup was the last thing to take place in the sacrifice. It was the last thing. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul uses this analogy in reference to his life. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul said my life literally has been a sacrifice for Jesus, and I've poured out my life like a drink offering. <clears throat> Man, what a statement. Jesus says as often as you do this. He says not every service. He didn't put a time frame on it. He says, if Jesus wanted us to do it every service, he would have said, every time you meet, do this. He didn't. He said, as often as you do it, the Lord's Supper is a sermon. It is a lesson. It is a picture. It is an invitation. This is the great proclamation. When we do the Lord's Supper, you are saying to everyone around you, I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If it's an ordinance of the church, listen, if it's an ordinance of the church, it has to picture the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does baptism picture? Why do we immerse people? Death, burial, and resurrection. It pictures the cross. It pictures Jesus on the cross. It pictures his death. He was raised to, you know, I say, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what your baptism is for. It comes after your salvation, not before. The bread is a picture of him. Uh, your suffering was put on him. Your sin was placed on him. The, the greatest, one of the greatest passages in all of the Scripture is that He became sin who knew no sin, that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what an ordinance does. This is what the Lord... He, the, when we do the Lord's Supper, it is the greatest invitation to the lost that can ever be. I often tell you, you're about to preach a sermon. I won't preach the sermon this morning. You will. Because the table says, come to the table. Accept the invitation. Partake of the Eucharist. And Jesus says, until he comes, please preach this sermon for me. Y'all all right? Till he comes. Look, look. Verse 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
I've, I, listen, I done heard enough about when the tribulation is going to happen, when the millennium is going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Let me just tell you something. Jesus is coming. Okay? And some of that foolishness has worked its way into our scholars. Again, when the scholars depart, Brother Jerry Gray is going to be right here in the book. Until he comes. He said, do the Lord's Supper until I come. Because it's telling people about the gospel. And so now look at the destruction. Look in verse number 27. He says here. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Wait for them. But look, verse 20, look, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy fashion will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28. So a man should examine himself. See, Paul says, there was discord in the church. Here's the doctrine you should have. And if you don't do what's right, here's what happens. Paul says, examine yourself in this way. The way that you should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep, dead. If we were properly, what? Propriety in worship? Properly evaluating ourselves. Hello? Do y'all properly evaluate yourself? No, you don't. I don't either. If I was properly evaluating myself, I wouldn't be as sinful as I am. Come on. I'm taking the lead in the judgment. We wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be found condemned by the world. So, brothers, when you come together, wait for each other. If you're hungry, eat at home. When you gather together, you won't come under judgment. And, and I will give instructions about some things when I come. The rest of the matters. Wouldn't you like to know what those things were? That would be about another ten chapters probably. So here's the destruction. I pray and I beg with all of my heart. Lord Jesus, Father, in Jesus' name, Pastor preaches this right now as a prayer while I'm preaching that we never come to you and axios. I pray we never come in an unworthy fashion. I pray that we never come improperly. I pray that when people come into this service, that people will see that the love and the grace that we have for God flows to them. And I preach with passion and care and love to draw them. I'm not making any bones about it. I'm trying to talk you into my Savior. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you He is all in everything. <laughs> He has been so good to me. I was lost on my way to hell, separated from him, and he saved me. And that's why I love worship so much. That's why I love to hear the singing. Singing gets me fired up. I just want to jump off the stage sometime, but that might be inappropriate, so I'm hanging on to it. In the, in the doctrine section, we saw that the body was important, confession, remembrance, giving thanks. Now we see that there's value, there's worth. We see who can participate in the Lord's Supper. He says, examine yourself. Are you saved? Are you clean? And the reason that you can't partake of the Lord's Supper, see, when I come to do the Lord's Supper, I say, 
It's about all of those who are of like faith and order. If you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and been immersed by baptism, you can participate. You see, because if you're not there, then it's blasphemy. And, and Paul has said, you can't participate. Now, once I say that, I'm free. And if you're not saved and you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're putting your hands in, in God's hands. Or if you're doing it in ignorance and you think you're saved, I think the Lord has grace on you. But there's many people that know they're playing games and they're not saved and they participate, they go through. So all those people that are participating in, in the Eucharist and don't know Jesus, the Lord says many of them are sick and many of them have died. You see, this is serious business. And so he says, I want you to examine yourself. This is an imperative in the text. It is a, it is a, a command. And he says, those of you who do not recognize or discern the body of Christ the body and the blood, you've brought judgment on yourself. And here's what that means. The, the Greek word for judgment means to, to have doubts. It, it literally is, refers to one who staggers and sways. It means one who does not judge. It means to be partial. Now, let me explain this to you. For those who don't recognize the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, they're partial to their own thoughts and beliefs about the gospel. Listen to me. Here's what you're saying. I got my own way to heaven, and I'm partial to that. If you don't believe in the Lord's Supper, if you don't believe in the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus, if you don't, if you don't believe in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, you've become partial. And here's what, here's what he says. He said, if we, I love this, 31, if we were properly evaluating ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. You know what my problem is? I think I'm right all the time. You know what God loves to do? Show me an error. God loves to say, hey, smarty pants, let's, let's fix this right here in your life. You think you, know, you think you know better than I do? You're being partial in your judgment. So the word judgment, the word crino means some of the people were sick. So can I just give you a word of encouragement today? Judge yourself honestly. You're mad, you're mad at somebody right now. They hurt me. They did this. Judge yourself honestly. Did they really hurt you? Or are you just being a crybaby? Most of the time when I get my feelings hurt, it's because I'm being a crybaby. And then the Lord says, here's what the Lord in my heart, he'll say, Jerry, is that really that big? You're going to let that comment get you sidetracked? That one? I know way more about you than they do. Glory. People say, Brother Jerry, you don't believe what people are saying about you. I said, tell me what they're saying. I said, that's nothing. Tell them come talk to me. I got way worse stuff than that. So, you all right? Yeah. God's disciplines those he loves. Tribulation sets us apart. Can I ask you a question this morning? Would you rather sit at the Lord's table or go to the white throne judgment? Tell you where I want to be. Verse 33 and 34. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together, eat, wait for one another. Body, 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 life. It's about us. And we do something here that's called open communion here. Some people think they're so special. They do a completely closed communion. 
you have to be a member of their church. But Jesus said, this is my body. It's for disciples. It's for believers. Now, that's where the door closes. But if you're a Methodist and you know Jesus Christ, you can participate with us. We may do it differently than you do. Can I say to you that I went to a Methodist church one time? They had the Lord's Supper. person doing the Lord's Supper, I knew in my heart, was gay. I did not participate. Sat right there. Everybody in the church got up, went down. She served, she served them the Lord's Supper. Went back. I sat there. You see, I wasn't going down. I, I want to know that my shepherd is walking with Jesus. I want to make sure that that's pure, orderly, right. The Roman soldiers used to do this. They would be required as far as possible to return once a year to Rome to renew their oath and their allegiance to the emperor. The soldiers of every nation had to salute the colors from time to time or to be judged guilty of treason or disloyalty. Attendance at the table and worship on Sunday is your allegiance to the God you serve. What we're doing here is important. And I tell you, I need it. I can't do without it. <laughs> I got to have it. I want it. Desire his fellowship. I desire your fellowship. I love to hug you in the hallway. I love hugging the kids. I love being around you. I love getting encouragement from you. I love hearing the music. You see, all of that changed. Because, see, I was one of those people. I thought, church is the boringest thing in the world. And now I can't do without it. Why, what happened? What happened? I gave my life to Christ. And he put the Holy Spirit of God within me. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you get saved, he puts the Holy Spirit in you. There's a seed of righteousness that gets planted in there. And it starts growing. And then your want to changes. Y'all all right? If you're saved and your want to got changed, say amen. amen. You see, I'm not, telling, I'm not fibbing. I'm telling the truth. And I want to be so close to him. Man, this flesh. Isn't, isn't the flesh a terrible thing with us? And one day Jesus is going to come and we're going to go to heaven. Or if I die, I'm going to heaven. And this body is going to get changed. And I'm going to have a better one that doesn't sin, doesn't overeat, doesn't complain, doesn't want to sleep all the time, doesn't get tired, and doesn't hurt, doesn't have cholesterol, doesn't have blood pressure problems. And, I, and bless the Lord on oh my soul, I'm going to be with Jesus and I'm going to have a perfect body and I won't even want to sin anymore. See, that, that's what Jesus does. He puts that want to in you. And then through some trials and tribulations and tough times, he begins to grow you. Boy, and then the more you grow, the closer to him you get. The closer to him you get, the more you realize, mm, I'm not very much like him. And then you want to grow even more. I'm begging you today. He, it's all about Jesus. If you're watching the news, he could come get us at any moment.
what goes on in the Middle East controls everything. Would you just say, Jesus, Lord, I may not understand it all, but once, now, forever, and always, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me of my sins? And I'm going to be standing right here. I'm not going to move. I'm going to stand right here. And even if you can't come during the invitation after the service, if you'll just come to me and say, Brother Jerry, I need to know Christ. Would you help me? I promise you I'll be right here. Sanford will be here. Carol will be right here. Jeremy, Miss Joanne, Miss Donna, Mark's back there. Larry's here. Man, I got believers here that will just walk you right through the process of receiving Jesus. If you're watching by way of the Internet today, your time is running out. I promise you that with all the heart that I have. Know that I love you, and I want you to know my Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Father, in Jesus' name.